welcome to another episode of The False Neutral. I am Garrett. I have no idea what episode number this is, but what I do know is that this episode is like no other we've done before, mainly because I'm hosting without the gracious, some might say brilliant presence of Eric, or Pete for that matter, but that's a different story. Instead, it's me at the reins, and joining me is the incredible and infamous Joe Bergeron. Joe, say hi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, if Howdy, folks. you listen to the show regularly, then you know of Joe, or at least you know of his bikes, because I'm always talking about him. Joe rides the Aprilia Tuano with a busted dash, as I now understand, and uh, let's see, Yamaha FC09 and others, but what's going on with your dash, Joe? Um, after every time I wash it, the... It dims down. It gets really dark, really, really hard to tell, especially through a tinted lens. It's because it's Italian, right? Possibly, but it's no Ducati, so. I offered Joe eight hundred bucks for the Aprilia, <laughs> and he said he'd take it, so I'm going to hold him to that. But before we get too much further, I want to take a page from our sister podcast, the Camden Tubbed podcast, which uh, Joe hasn't heard much of before, but what they do at the beginning is they talk, or at least I think they do still, is they talk about what they're drinking. And today, because Pete and Eric aren't here, I'm drinking. And we're drinking scotch. Um, my buddy Joe here went to Costco and picked up this, uh, I think it's called Glenmorangie. I think that's how you say it. I'm too. White, I'm too white to pronounce it. I, I'm too American to, too, too to American. pronounce a, a, or a Scottish uh, distillery name. But no matter how you cut it, it's delicious. But yeah, no matter what, it's ten years aged. Uh, this particular one. Oh yeah. And uh, it, actually, it's in a three pack, and there's um, three different ones. We're drinking the original, which is a ten year aged Scotch. I'm drinking mine with lemonade because I figured I'd give it a try, and it's actually really, really good. Uh, <laughs> Joe is going for Canada Dry, Canada Dry ginger yes, ale, yes sir, and scotch. Nothing better um, than whiskey ginger ale. Because neither one of us, uh, at least tonight, anyways, are man enough to drink it on uh, rocks or just by itself. But nevertheless, we're drinking the good stuff tonight, so you know this is going to be a good show. Um, so first things first, I wanted to talk about Indians return to Bonneville, which I just came across this on Cycle World. Um, normally I look more closely at land speed racing, uh, because I think it's really interesting, but I haven't really looked at it much lately, but I did come across this article today. Okay, that wasn't meant to be in there. <laughs> but I did come across an article today on Cycle World where uh, one of Burt Monroe, as you know, from... Uh, what's that movie that... What was the, the name of it? The the Indian? or I, th- I think it was just something plain Jane like that. Yeah. Well, or World's rate, Fastest Indian. World's Fastest Indian, that's right. Uh, Burt Monroe, a, a family member of his, decided to kind of relive the spirit of Burt and ran an Indian motorcycle in the modified partial streamlined gas class, the 1,350cc and underclass, and actually set a world record on it here just the other day down in Bonneville. Um, Now, I think that's pretty cool. The original record was 151? Uh, Well, according 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Lee Monroe, uh, Bert's family member, just his record that he just set the uh, here the other day was one eighty six point six eight one miles an hour. He didn't just beat it; he blew it out of the water. Yeah. Now I don't know if Bert still had that record or not, but. Um, what I do know is that's pretty damn fast, 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 fast <laughs> motorcycle, regardless, regardless of how it is. is. Um, now, this is a modified partial streamlined motorcycle, which, I mean, might as well be fully streamlined. Basically, you can't see the side of the rider. So, but it's like full fairinged, um, and I mean, we're talking about an Indian <laughs> engine, uh, I mean, what's pretty surprising about that speed is, um, I mean, that's approaching the speed of some of the other classes where there is some extremely respectable motorcycles and engines. And, and also, um, you know, this is gas. This is, uh, it's not fuel. It's not blown. I mean, this is naturally aspirated, gas-powered. Um, I don't know if it's pump gas or Probably if they not. can that's... use race gas, but... Um, nevertheless, 186 miles an hour, and that's also at the atm- or the, the elevation. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's I mean, what I was thinking. Was that was a big factor? Yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. Uh, so I don't know. Congratulations to Lee. Maybe in uh, let's see, another 80 years, we'll have uh, <laughs> uh, round two of the world's fastest Indian. So uh, now, Joe and I and. Our friend Dylan, who wasn't here to join us today, and our, speaking of Kiwi, although he's not a Kiwi, our Australian friend, Dan, just got back from a multi-day ride where we went up around the peninsula coast up here in Washington, and it started off pretty good, but it deteriorated (laughs) pretty quickly. Um, So, but we, we, we left... On a Friday morning, right? Friday morning? No, Friday afternoon. Friday, yeah. And immediately ran, like, we got to the freeway, which is only two miles away from my house, and it was complete stop. Now, we were going north, and there is really nothing on the freeway going north other than small towns until you get hundreds of miles up north, and then you get to Seattle. So I have no idea why the traffic was at a complete standstill. On the freeway, but we ended up taking quite the detour. We took side streets, basically 20 miles north around the freeway. Finally got on the highway and got north. And we got as far as uh, Aberdeen, Washington, up north, which um, is Kurt Cobain's hometown. Now, um, our friend Dan, who's the Australian... He's kind of into American culture, so he really wanted to go to Kurt Cobain's uh, hometown house, and it, I don't know. He had he had his belly shirt and everything. I mean, <laughs> but what was pretty odd, I thought, was we went to Kurt Cobain's house, and there is this car full of teenage girls. Now, mind you, Kurt Cobain died in 1994, so if you're a teenage girl, you probably weren't really aware of Kurt Cobain's could you even no you couldn't even been alive when Kurt Cobain was around if you're a teenager I'm sure I'm sure there's I'm sure there's 20 or 30 year olds now that that like are so into Elvis yeah that would cry if they you know well yeah these girls they got to Kurt Cobain's childhood house and they're all wearing their Nirvana shirts and they're just sobbing sobbing seeing and like he changed my life 
you know, what's, what's interesting about the house there where Kurt Cobain grew up is there's no markings. It's just a house that some random person lives in now, and, and people just pull up to it and start sobbing wearing their Nirvana shirts. But um, I can't imagine what goes through that, that person's mind that owns that house. If it were me, it would be Airbnb and renting <laughs> it out. 500 a night. But at any rate, that's not motorcycling related. Uh, but we did, so we went on this, uh, this ride, and my friend Dan, he <clears throat> has a long history of motorcycling, although he hasn't owned a motorcycle for several years, so he borrowed one of his friend's bikes, and uh, a 2005 Kawasaki ZX-10. And on the day of the trip, he realizes that on this motorcycle, which it's a savage title piece of shit. (laughs) And recently put together by a friend. (laughs) Yeah. And, and realized the day that we were leaving that there are two massive cracks in the spars of the frame uh, near the gas tank. Think of the grand Canyon. Yeah. Think of the grand Canyon. And you know, so his buddy who loaned it to him divulged these cracks to him the day that he was leaving, you know, the buddy who uh, owned the bike, who Dan was borrowing it from, and were described as two very small hairline cracks. Well, no, <laughs> one very small hairline crack. They didn't even realize that the other side was cracked until I pointed it out. Um, so Dan, he asked me, so, hey, do you think we should look at these cracks before <laughs> we go on this trip? And, you know, I was already really committed to the idea of Dan going with us, and so... I was like, ah, they're probably fine. So he gets here, and like, I mean, they're they're massive cracks. You can't see it from your motorcycle. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so, you know, I I wouldn't have ridden the bike, but but you know, it was one of those things where like I was pretty confident they wouldn't turn into like two. It wouldn't turn into two halves of a motorcycle on the freeway. But I probably wouldn't have ride it, ridden it. So he asked me, you know, what should I do? And I'm like, well. Wing it? It's okay. You'll be fine. <laughs> to, 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 be, to be fair or honest or whatever, unfortunately, that wasn't the worst part of the motorcycle. No. So, well, just so you're not in suspense, the, the motorcycle did not fail. Um, it didn't, he didn't crash or anything like that. But, um, <clears throat> you know, the, the cracks... I guess were a warning of what kind of condition the the motorcycle was in overall, and so um, it, I think it was it was either on the first day or, or the second day we, we were riding in the evening and we were going around some turns that were pretty tight. We we're getting towards the coast, I think, and um, the speed limit. You know, they're like the thirty thirty five mile an hour turns with the decreasing radiuses, and they're pretty tricky. And it was nighttime or at least darker outside. And we were we were going at a we weren't going fast, right Joe? Um, I mean, I think that we were going at like a decent We were exceeding the speed limit, but not the capability of the motorcycles. Yeah, and you know, Joey and I both have lots of riding experience. <laughs> and our buddy that was with us, Dylan, he through riding with Joe and I lately has gotten pretty decent at riding and and our buddy Dan has ridden a lot in the past, but not lately. And I guess um, it was probably my fault for um, overestimating his ability 
Or maybe well, like not factoring his in experience how of riding motorcycle was. I think his experience of riding, like all the times he rode, wasn't necessarily up to our capabilities or yeah, what I mean. Yeah. Well, I think that mainly he was like commuting on a motorcycle, but not necessarily um, like sport riding a motorcycle. But goon rider dying. Yeah, goon rider dies. So, at any rate. Um, we were going around the corner, and I was in front, and and me, Dylan, and Joe all have our intercoms going, but Dan didn't have one. And so I just start hearing somebody saying, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, 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 shit. And then I'm looking in my mirror, and Dan goes way wide on a corner and just about stuffs it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was Garrett, then Dan, I was third, and then Dylan was in the rear, and... I was pretty close to Dan, watching him almost skid into the barrier. Dylan was pretty much narrating the whole thing. But at least it wasn't the opposite direction turn where he went wide into traffic, because there was quite a bit of traffic I, on the other side. The only thing that I think saved him was the fact it was a it was a group of S-curves, and he was right at the end of the corner before it turned yeah. back in. Otherwise, it would have been... Put another shrimp on the barbie. Yeah, put another shrimp on the barbie. <laughs> so uh, that was that was a little bit frightening, but you know, other than that, there were no real close calls. But we all took turns riding the ZX10 because I, a sport bike like that, like you know, the hunched over kind of race bike type of thing, is kind of a novelty to us because you know, I mean, the Tuano is is not far removed from that style of motorcycle, but, you know, the Tuano is still comfortable. The, the, the sport bike, you know, I can't believe that he decided to ride a bike like that on a thousand-mile trip. Um, so we all took turns uh, riding it. And <laughs> More or less out of pity, because I, well, I could yeah. not watch him stand no, up on that thing anymore. So that's the thing. I think that we got 10 miles into our trip, and he was already standing up. Because his ass hurts so bad. Oh, and, you know, we had 990 more miles to not, go. Not all Australians are tough, let me just say that. <laughs> no, then, uh, yeah, some Australians are tough, but not the ones from Sydney, apparently. <laughs> uh, so, I think, Joe, you were the first one to, I, yeah, I, to I, ride on I, that. I hopped on the grenade. And, you know, I think initially you're like, well, this thing's really not <clears throat> that uncomfortable, actually. Realistically, it's not. The seat actually... The, the padding of the seat is... Oh, the seat is exponentially better perfect. than mine. It's not too soft. It's not too firm. Right. The the only discomfort I had was um, my legs were a little crouched. Yeah. And that was over, I don't know, 30 or 40 miles. Yeah. Um, the only issue I had was the thing was a huge pile of shit. Would yeah. Not, would not stop. It, vibra- well, it vibrated. And so that was the most frightening thing when I finally got... a. Uh, turn to ride it. I'm not going to say my chance to ride it because that implies that I was waiting for it, but when I had the misfortune of giving him a break so he could ride something more comfortable, um, I think it was like the first time that I touched the brake. Not only do the brakes feel like like the pads are shot, but also the master cylinder feels... I mean, it felt like I was squishing sand between... The so, lever and and the pads. There was nothing there with the front brakes, and the rear brakes didn't even compress. Yeah. Essentially is what it came down to. Yeah. And so, what a damn death trap. Had I known it was that bad, I probably would have suggested for him to ride the Zephyr. <laughs> but now, and, now he'll appreciate the new FC1. Yeah, that's true. So, um, I've been turning all of my friends on to FC1s. Um, 
our our buddy Dylan, the one who I talk about uh, pretty regularly, he got a start on a 92 Kawasaki Zephyr, which is actually sitting right next to us right now, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> which, and it's actually, it's not a bad bike. It's, it's actually a really good motorcycle. It, 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 it's a perfect it's a entry great, level. great first motorcycle. Absolutely. Um, Ultra reliable. But, but then, so he bought that when I was still riding the TX750 as yeah, like yeah. my primary bike. And uh, Joe had uh, an RD250 or a DSM, whatever you want to call it. And so... You know, when Dylan got this effort, that was like the hot rod. Like, that, he had the that, that was bike. that was the bee's knees. And time. it was like almost right after that, <laughs> you bought an FZ09, yeah. and then um, a little while there later, I bought an FZ1, and then he was stuck on this really slow Zephyr. <laughs> um, so I talked him into well, I didn't even he he decided he wanted to get an FZ1 because he really liked mine. He liked the idea of the power and having some more comfort. Um, and so now my buddy Dan, he wants to get back into motorcycling, and he is 100% sold on the idea of an FZ1, which, I mean, for the money, how can, how can you beat it? You, that's, yeah, you He's, can't beat that. We, we, immediately when we got <laughs> home, we were looking on Craigslist, and he found a 2012 FZ1 with 3,000 miles on it. I mean, this is like a brand new bike for $5,700. It's on its second oil change. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, it's a It's still probably got the original tires on 5, it. 5,000 bucks. But, you know, during our trip, like I was mentioning a little bit earlier, uh, me, Joe, and Dylan all have our intercom systems, and Dan was kind of stuck by himself. Be- you know, he didn't have any way to communicate with us, which, you know, on a, a group ride like we're doing, especially one that was as disorganized as ours, we kind of need to communicate with each other because we don't know exactly where we're going to be turning, you know, who has the directions up and all that. So he decided that he wanted to buy an intercom system so he could communicate with us. So um, we ended up detouring our ride into the next biggest town that had a Senna S20 in stock. Um, it's kind of tough, actually, as we found out, to find a dealership that has intercoms, A, and then B, what? that has a Senna Well, the, fr- the first one was some half-ass Harley shop, wannabe, well, wannabe yeah. wrenching shop. That's true. second one was probably uh, like a, a bent lever of some sort type yeah, of place. Yeah, like just then a small... Little, the other one was actually a dealer that yeah. had, you know, probably... 150 motorcycles on hand. Yeah. I think any decent sized dealer will have. But the reason reason I bring up this dealer is because when we were in there, they do Kawasaki and some other brands, uh, including, and Pete would have liked this, the Kimco. Uh, They had Kimco K pipes. (laughs) I didn't even look to see if they were the the ones that that, uh, got banned for import because of the reverse shifting. Uh, MotoGP? Uh, well, yeah, they essentially have Dude, MotoGP shifting. No, that's, they're track ready. They're track ready. But, um, that's track ready. The Department of Transportation or whoever uh, administers the, the rules for importing uh, requires motorcycles to have a standardized shifting of, you know, uh, neutral and then one down and then your, the yeah. rest of your gears go up. Well, these were backwards, which is a simple, simple change. But they imported them and... Um, almost immediately got recalled. Jesus. It, but what's really funny is is Pete, he knew, right when these motorcycles came out, he went to the, the dealer and, and then figured out that they're reverse shifting. He's like, no, they can't be like that. These are going to get recalled. It was like a week later that they dun, issued dun, dun, a formal no recall kidding. on it. Yeah, wow. so, so Pete called that. <clears throat> More you know. Um, but at any rate, what I was getting at is this dealership sells Kawasaki motorcycles and... 
we were walking through, and I noticed that they had the Z800 uh, 2016 models, uh, brand new, on the floor for under six thousand um, dollars. I think that their 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 floor price was fifty eight ninety nine. I think is what I saw on them, and so, but that got me thinking about. You know, and for somebody like Dan, who has motorcycling experience, but not a lot, what's a better buy for him? The FZ1 for, let's just say the same price, or the brand new Kawasaki Z800? And the reason, the reason I wonder is because, you know, the, the one thing about the FZ1 is they made them forever. It's tried and true. It has no inherent reliability problems. But it's, you know, compared to a brand new Kawasaki with a warranty and the rest of it. Now, I was looking a little bit on the specs of the Kawasaki. And, you know, obviously it's a smaller displacement and it does have substantially less power. What are those, what are those make? So I was looking at them today. And now this is not a manufacturer's claimed horsepower number. But I think it was Psycho World did a comparison between the FZ09 and the Z800. And I think this was a 2016 comparison because I don't think that the Z900 was out yet. Ooh, I think that was a gotcha. 2017 bike. And the Z900, from what I understand, is so a, that's a actually, better bike in every way. So that's more comparable to the FC09 as opposed Nowadays, to... Nowadays, yeah, because okay. I think the Z900 is, is actually maybe just shy of 900 cc's, just like the FC09. Um, but the Z800, um, at the tire, it made... 99 horsepower now but the fz09 made 104 uh, on their dynos so <clears throat> so yeah, power it's... at least horsepower wise is pretty comparable to the fz09 a little bit less doesn't have nearly the snap and the low end power that the fz09 has but for somebody like dan so well, does well, it matter where's that where's that power though on the rpm range it's probably going to be a lot higher i mean it's a it's a quadruple cylinder versus a triple cylinder so um you know i would imagine it's going to rev higher or so, at least the maybe not rev higher but the, the power be up higher in the rev band so i think like you're i would say comparing apples to oranges uh with the z800 and the uh the fc1 like what what would be a good starter bike or whatever and all I, I think like dan if he's going to use the commute to beaverton or whatever i think he would be happier on the fc1 well, yeah. Now, I I don't even <laughs> want to admit this, but I actually really like the Z800. What's goofed up, what's messed up is when I bought my FC09 as the coolest motorcycle in the world, to me, I know it's far from right. it, but because it was mine, it was it was the bee's knees. And now that there's a million and a half of them out there, I'm kind of staring towards so, the other stuff. You know, the... The uh, the front headlight on the Z800 actually, to me, kind of looks like the the Buell, the like Street Fighter version of the new Buell that's out. Um, it's really not a bad looking motorcycle at all. <laughs> well, if that's the case, for four thousand more dollars, you could buy a brand new Buell. <laughs> well, yeah, and then have like a <laughs> hundred more horsepower. Yeah, exactly. And Dan doesn't need that. But see, this is the thing that I know about Dan is he's really cheap. And he's a salesman. He's a salesman, yes. He's really cheap. He's really into appearances. So 
Now, when you're buying a motorcycle... So like, he's going to put you, spinners on whatever well, he gets. You can prioritize <clears throat> whatever you want when you're making a motorcycle purchase. If it's aesthetics first, or if it's performance first, and aesthetics next. I feel like, like Dan's primary concern is value. Or I shouldn't even say value, it's price point. Um, <laughs> and then it's aesthetics, and then it's performance. Yeah, I Third. mean, n- not one time that entire trip did he get into the power. No, at all. I think that he was afraid to because <laughs> the motorcycle <laughs> may or may not have fallen apart. I think he knew it was a pile of garbage, but oh, yeah, for sure. But not like we did. Yeah, and so you know, Dan, he actually. So I think he got to start riding a GSXR six hundred. And then upgraded from that to a ZX-10 and rode a ZX-10 for quite some time. So he does have some experience with 160, 170 horsepower. And so I don't know if the, the, Z, uh, the Z800 is, you know, maybe initially it would satisfy him. But I feel like maybe he would get bored by that power. The FZ1s have 148, although I'm convinced that... If they do, mine must have three million because <laughs> uh, Dylan's is depressing. Yeah, uh, uh, Dylan, who we've been talking about, he has a 2009 FZ1, and I have a 2008 FZ1, and mine is exponentially faster. But to be fair, you're also 70 pounds lighter than Dylan. Well, yeah, I mean, Dylan weighs a metric ton, <laughs> and also it's it's, it's all in the balls. It's, also, it's the I balls. think my motorcycle weighs 20 pounds, or maybe even a little bit more than 20 pounds less yeah. than his, because he still has the full front fairing. Well, I don't. His is bone ass stock. Yours has a little bit different gearing. Yeah, the exhaust and the quote unquote programmer. Yeah. So I don't know. I. I thought I would ask you about whether or not the Z800 would be... I mean, I do think it's an incredible value. A brand new motorcycle... Oh, and that's with ABS. Ooh. Yeah. That's, that's perfect for Dan. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> when you're going to be blowing corners, you probably want ABS. So, yeah, I think that... Um, I know that you can get the ABS models of 2016 for less than $6,000. I don't know if that's what theirs was. It was advertised for the 5899 but... They can be obtained. Uh, the ABS model Z800 for around six grand. Um, I, I do think that that's an incredible value, um, and I think that the Z800 isn't remarkable by any means, but it's it's a new motorcycle. You can't right? any well, yeah. I mean, anything. new motorcycles like generally, yeah. You, if you compare them against others that are remarkable, then you're going to be spending ten thousand more dollars or. Or yeah, well, eight thousand like, more dollars. You know, when they do the super naked shootouts, and you're comparing stuff against the Super Duke R or the Aprilia Tuano, like you know, say a, a Triumph Street Triple. Well, maybe it comes in middle place or last place or something, but you're comparing it to really remarkable bikes. Now the Z800 is is kind of that middle or maybe like bottom-of-the-road bike compared to other nakeds. Like, you know, when you compare it against the FZ09, it's going to lose. The FZ09 is remarkable for what it is. But I still feel like the Z800 is going to be a very good bike that will keep somebody entertained for a long time, especially at that price of uh, sub-$6,000. So, I don't know. I'll pass that on to Dan, and we'll see what he says. And 
We'll probably keep you guys posted, but I think that that's going to wrap it up for us. Anything you want to add, Joe? Um, You're going to sell me that Tawana for 800 bucks. I was going to say keep the rubber side down, but... Uh... I think that that's what Eric says, so I don't remember what his saying is. I'll leave that for him, but <laughs> uh, you'll hear Eric and I probably next week. Uh, but until then, have a good day, and we'll see you later. Bye.